today, which comes from the epistle, let me make a comment about uh, the flow of our worship today. As you, if you read the uh, mail out, you said that you, you saw that I was pointing out we're really doing two types of things in the service today liturgically. One is the first season, the first Sunday of the season of Advent, as, as Creed has already spoken to you. Um, however, it occurred to me in planning the service that last week, with the attention we wanted to give for the uh, 50th anniversary of Macon Outreach and, and uh, Christ the King Sunday, we didn't really have uh, time to devote to the, uh, to the uh, holiday of Thanksgiving, which is, uh, while not a part of the church calendar, is very much part of our calendar and thus a part of the church worship as well. So in this service, we have spent some time with the hymns and music and, and some readings from the Advent uh, season. However, the scriptural lessons uh, are devoted to the Thanksgiving scene. And so I invite you to listen for God's word as we read from, uh, from 1 Timothy, beginning with the first verse, the second chapter, the first verse. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanksgiving ought to be the easiest day of the year for the preacher. After all, preachers get pushback <clears throat> when it comes to those passages that talk about forgiving those who have wronged us. Preachers sense that the congregation is becoming uncomfortable when we talk about loving your enemies. Sometimes someone will say, preacher, that's all right, but you don't know my enemies. And preachers, if they are spiritually sensitive, become uh, uh, sensitive themselves when it's time for us to talk about self-sacrifice. But being grateful, <laughs> we know it's the right thing to do. We know it's a pleasant thing to do. We know that if we, if we, are, if we are grateful as we desire to be, that it will not only be helpful, it will even make us feel better. But being grateful is not always the easiest thing to do. And if we aren't instinctively grateful, we don't really know how to be grateful. So I want us to focus in particular on the passages from Exodus that Gregory has read this morning. There are two passages. One shows the Hebrews in a less than favorable light. The second one shows them in a very favorable light. Chapter 15 begins with the Song of Moses, Moses, uh, Mir excuse me, the Song of Miriam, uh, which forms the core of what is later the Song of Moses. And some suggest that Miriam played a bigger role in the 
uh, in the ancient Hebrew culture than has survived uh, in the literature. Um, but this is the core of it as she celebrates the deliverance of the Hebrews at the Red Sea. Then Moses tells them, let's go. And so they start off into the wilderness. Within three days, a pattern of grumbling begins. Three days later, they are complaining and grumbling. And the pattern, and I use the word pattern of grumbling carefully because it recurs not only three days after the deliverance at the Red Sea, but perpetually and on and, and again and again throughout the time in the wilderness. The truth is the pattern of grumbling has continued among God's people even into the present day. When I was pastor in Hawkinsville, I, I found one of these passages about the people grumbling uh, in the lectionary and preached a sermon on it. One of my favorite sermon titles, I called it The Grumblings of the Godly. Alliteration, you know, and all, and all that kind of thing. By Tuesday morning, the rumor was all around town that there were big troubles at the Methodist church because the preacher was talking about grumbling. Well, if they had really been grumbling, I would have been afraid to deal with it from the pulpit, so not, not to worry about that. But, but the pattern of, of grumbling of the godly, I think, is, has recurred into uh, today. Uh, th think about it. These Hebrews had just been freed from slavery. That would be a good thing, don't you think? They had seen numerous dramatic miracles. You remember the 10 plagues that God brought down to set them free? They have been delivered when they were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, well, at least between Pharaoh and the Red Sea, seeing no way to escape, but God acted to bring them deliverance. They've had this incredible season of watching God do miraculous things in their behalf. And after three days, they've forgotten all about it and they started to complain. We look at it and we say, that's kind of an ugly picture. And it is. Ingratitude is always ugly. The trouble is we recognize it in other people, but seldom in ourselves. When we hear someone else who has been the recipient of goodness and, and uh, beneficence and blessings and so forth, and they're complaining about something, we find it very easy to say, well, that's ridiculous for, for them to be complaining uh, about that little thing when they've had so. It's easy for us to see in other people, but when it's when we're the ones who are, who are in, in, in ungrateful, well, it's just people ought to understand that we're the victim in all this. Ingratitude is easy to see in others, and it's ugly when we see it. Ingratitude comes from forgetting, forgetting the blessings that we have had. And I would take it just a step further to say that ingratitude comes not from the random act of forgetting, like, oh, where did I put my car keys? Uh, or, oh, it's uh, so-and-so's birthday and I didn't think to, to send him a card. It's not the random act of forgetting. 
It's allowing ourselves to forget because there are things that we need to make a point of remembering. And when we fail to do that, we, we feed ourselves on, the, on the, the, the bitter stew of ingratitude. In chapter 15, the Hebrews are to be, are, are to be looked down upon for their, for their grumbling. In chapter 36, it's a different story. They are portrayed in a very good light. Here, they are building the tabernacle so that they can worship God properly, even in the wilderness. And, and, and I know it's often easy to scold biblical characters. And in fact, think how many times when you read the gospels, the disciples, it's like the gospel writers are saying, we're gonna make the disciples look really dumb uh, and, and they succeed. Well, here, we're not, we're not scorning them. We're, we're praising them because they wanted to praise God with the best that they could offer to him. Here they are models. And so uh, Moses calls together Bezalel and Aholiab. You've, you know Bezalel and Aholiab, don't you? Um, I'm, I'm hoping you don't um, because I'm not really sure that I'm pronouncing that the, the right way. And I'm, I'm hoping you don't, you see, I mentioned these guys once in a sermon out, out at Vineville and I thought I'm gonna get away with this because nobody in this church knows Hebrew. They're not gonna know whether, whether I said it right or not. And as I get up to preach, who do I see has slipped in the back door but Rabbi Larry Schlesinger, <laughs> who had been invited to teach a Sunday school class uh, and had stayed over for, for 11 o'clock worship. Well, Larry's a nice guy and he told me, oh yeah, you did a good job, you did a good job. So, so if, you, if you don't like the way I said it, call Larry and take it up with him. <laughs> Bezalel and Aholeb and all the artisans. Now, the church has a way of recognizing certain gifts more readily than others. If, if you can sing, there is always a choir that wants you. If you can teach a lesson, there's always a class. If you can chaperone a junior high overnight party, people will be at your door ready to, ready to offer you a ride and possibly a, a dozen donuts to, to, you know, tomorrow morning. There are things that if, if we can do, that we find a place, there are other gifts that the church does not readily acknowledge. And one of these is the ability to work with your hands. Mulberry has done a better job. This, what is it, hammers hearts and hands or, uh, that, that y'all have done in the past is a beautiful way to recognize that. We, we, could, we could stand to do that more often. Bezalel and Aholiab are, are patron saints, so to speak, of those who use the gifts of their hands in order to, to praise God. And we are right to, to give them praise uh, and, and, uh, and honor. But not only them, they were the ones who did the handiwork, but the whole nation of Israel brings forward the gifts, the things that they couldn't go to the Home Depot and order the things that they needed for, for the tabernacle. They had to bring it out of what they had already brought uh, what they possessed in their tents in, in, in the wilderness. And they came and they brought some stuff 
and the, the artisans began to work and they brought some more stuff and the artisans continued to work and they brought some more stuff and the artisans were, were getting flooded. And finally, there was so much that, that the artisans went to Moses and said, tell, tell the people to stop giving. We've got more than you can use. Now, I want you to think back to the last time you were in church on a pledge Sunday when you were invited to bring your pledge card up to the altar and when half the congregation had put their cards on the altar, the finance chair stood up and said, stop, stop, we've got more money than we can know what, know what to do with. <laughs> you, you remember that Sunday, don't you? N- neither do I. That's how generous. The, the, in th- chapter 36, the Hebrews recognize their gratitude and gratitude becomes generosity as I I suspect it always does. And that's one reason I think these two passages are keys to us in helping to develop our sense of gratitude. The first thing we do is to focus your mind on the right things. Focus your mind on the right things. Creed, Tommy, and, and I just finished a, a series of Sunday school lessons on a book by Adam Hamilton from Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. In the last chapter, which it's, the, the book was about the Ten Commandments, Co- coincidentally, the last chapter was about covetousness. And, and he said that some years ago, he led his church in doing a gratitude journal. They gave everybody in the church a, a little notebook that you could write down every day. In fact, you were encouraged to write down every day things for which you are grateful. Um, I mentioned this at nine o'clock service and one of our visitors who was standing there with her college age son said, every day, every day this Advent, I'm gonna email uh, my son something I'm grateful for and see if he emails me anything back. Now, that's a trap, isn't it though? I, uh, so I, I whispered in his ear, I said, grandmama's casserole. And he said, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's good. Gratitude journal, and what, he, what Adam Hamilton said was, that not only did people do do it, but the people who did it recognized a change in their own attitude about life. They became less dissatisfied. They became less contentious. They felt better about themselves and um, and a better sense of of, of self-worth and appreciation in their life. It did wonderful things when they focused their minds on the right things. We all have much to be thankful for. The Israelites did. The Israelites had all those dramatic miracles they could have been focusing their minds on, but instead they focused instead on the the lack of that particular day. You remember the song, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God hath done. It's a wonderful gospel song. In the days when I used to try to save my church the money for a song leader for revival, we'd sing that and, and, uh, uh, we, you know, if, if you do it right, and if your, and if your organist uh, is attentive, you, you can hold out that one. Line. Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
And just about the, finally you've caught everybody's attention again before you hit that last, that last line. And it's, a, it's, a, it's fun to do. And it's a, not only is it psychologically beneficial, it's a spiritually enriching experience as well to count our blessings, naming them one by one. Focus your mind on the right things. And then express your gratitude. In other words, when you do feel gratitude, Express it. Do something about it. Let me tell you something. Anytime that you experience a good emotion, a positive emotion, one that you want to experience again, anytime you experience a positive emotion and you don't do anything about it, that's dangerous because that emotion is less likely to return. If you do something about it, you will you will find that the emotion returns again and again. You may have the impulse to say thank you. You may have the impulse to say uh, I, I love you or to do a random act of kindness or to do something generous, to give something to, to someone. If you put it off, the emotion will not return. If you act on it, and the emotion will return again and again. Gratitude is incomplete until it is expressed. You can express gratitude in words. Seems to be probably the most obvious thing I will say today. You can express your gratitude in words and say, thank you. Now, you say, well, I, you know, sometimes I try and it just doesn't come out right. Uh, Yogi Berra, who besides being a great catcher, also made a career out of saying things that didn't come out right. Um, he, he grew up, he played in New York, but he grew up in St. Louis and the people in St. Louis were so proud of him that they, they, they even gave him a night uh, to honor him near the end of his career. And they made speeches and they brought all these gifts out. And then they gave Yogi Berra the, the microphone and he said, I wanna thank everybody who has made this evening necessary. It didn't, it, it, it didn't come out right, but everybody knew what he meant. I've said, I've tried to say thank you sometimes in ways that didn't come out right. And, and, and I sort of stumbled about it. I've had people try to thank me uh, for, for things. Like, like the time when I was a kid and, and they let me sing a solo in evening church. And this friend of mine said, Marcus, that was so good. It didn't sound like you. Uh, <laughs> but I've forgotten all about it. Uh, that was 1964, I think. I express it, do your best. And, and I've also, when I've tried to say something, uh, express gratitude, I've seen a light come on in people's eyes. And it meant something to them because they knew that their efforts had been appreciated and they were happier about it and they were more motivated to do something else like that again. Saying, it is so, saying thank you is so very important. If you don't feel grateful, if you don't feel gratitude in your soul, ask yourself how often you've been saying thank you. Say it and the emotion will come back again and again. And then express your gratitude in actions. Do something for someone. 
When you do a deed of caring, it's a way of thanking. Even if the person that you are doing something for is not the person that you really want to say thank you to. When you pass it on, it, it's a blessing to, to everyone. The, the Israelites brought so much, they had to be restrained. People, they had to say, stop, stop. When you are given a gift, one way you show your appreciation for that gift is by using it fully. If you've ever given your son or daughter a ball glove for baseball or softball, and if you've seen them go out in the field day after day and practice catching thrown balls and ground balls and fly balls until they develop their skills and they're enjoying uh, playing the game, if you've seen them using that glove to its fullest extent, you have been thanked. And we develop gratitude to God by giving to him and by giving to others in his name. When our, our daughter Emily graduated from college, she won an academic award and we were so proud. That was very nice. We were very happy about that. But you know what was even better? Was when she won a service award recognizing that not only had she done well in the classroom, but she had, had developed the habit of serving to uh, others uh, while she was there on campus. And, and we were so blessed that we felt that somehow something that we had done, some uh, spark that we had hoped to pass on had, had caught fire in, in the life of, of the young person we had brought up. We were happy. That brought us joy. And I think that God, in this response, in this way, responds somewhat as human parents do. When we express gratitude to others as well as to him, I believe it brings joy to God's heart. Because, you see, gratitude and joy are closely connected. Think about it. Grateful people are happy people. And ungrateful people are always very unhappy. Grateful people make others happy. And they gain joy in seeing that. Grateful people never think it's enough to feel gratitude on the inside. They want to live out their gratitude in words and in deed because they know that when it comes to gratitude, the feeling is only the beginning. 